but as someone who's been in the industry since I was 17 or 18 in one way or another and has sort of fought for legalization and continues to fight for legalization and see myself as much of an activist as, as, as an entrepreneur, I worry about the gains we've made being lost if we have another, you know, the vape crisis. We're, you know, we're lucky people weren't pointing the, fi- the finger at the regulated industry, and, and luckily it wasn't a problem of the regulated industry. But that's also a great example. Vitamin E is good for you. You take it. But when you smoke it, there's an unexpected chemical reaction or expected, if you know what you're looking for, that you know, can, can potentially kill someone. And so I think, you know, yeah, proceed with caution, especially with some of these more exotic ones. You're listening to To Be Blunt the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer, And I have an exciting episode for y'all today as we officially wrap up South by Southwest 2023. Yes, my voice is a little rough from hanging out way past my bedtime at some after parties, but I'm looking forward to South by being in the rearview mirror and getting a chance to recap it with y'all now. I had the pleasure of joining the stage to help deliver a panel discussion on a topic that we've certainly covered in many aspects here on the podcast. The conversation you're about to hear is on the future of chemically derived cannabinoids, and my panelists represent a wide swath of experiences and perspectives on the subject. I am so grateful to Chris Hudala of Proverde Labs for joining from Massachusetts, to Josh Werzer of SC Labs for joining from California, and to Andrew Pardo of Bayou City Hemp in Houston for helping me bring this panel to life. Also apologies on the poor audio quality of the recording. South by has a very strict recording policy and the best I could do was record on a cell phone. So turn it up if you can't hear certain parts, as well as there will be a link below in the show notes to the video version, should that be easier for you to follow along. Before we get into the episode, I do want to give a brief South by Roundup just for posterity. I was digging through my archives from previous years and had documented that South by Southwest officially brought a cannabis track to programming in 2019, where Leafly was the main sponsor of the track. Then, of course, 2020 and 2021, we didn't have South by Southwest But then in 2022, they brought the show back and Weed Maps was actually the main sponsor of that year, that track. And I mention this because not only were they main sponsors, but these two brands during their time as the sponsor of these South by tracks had lounges that they had sponsored that were in separate rooms off of the cannabis tracks. And it was a great central meeting place for the industry or those wanting to network within the industry to have a place to convene. For whatever reason that I do not know, South by Southwest did not secure a major cannabis track sponsor. In fact, outside of my panel room, I noticed that L'Oreal was the sponsor, so not sure what happened or why no cannabis brand stepped up to be the big sponsor. I do know that it has a hefty price tag associated with it. I just think without having that main cannabis track sponsor, we lost a little bit of cohesiveness, in my opinion. Yes, there were still three days of cannabis talks and programming, but it wasn't as big as it was in 2022 or 2019, in my opinion. And there really wasn't a central place during programming for our industry to meet up. So I noticed after talks that people were kind of convening outside of the talks instead of having, again, that central 
meeting space, and I just think that meetups are part of the fun. Regardless, there were cannabis talks and people did come to represent the industry. Unfortunately, I was a bit preoccupied with my own event and panel that I didn't actually make it to any of the other tracks, but just so you know, this is the list of topics covered this year in addition to the one that you're about to hear. Accelerating the science of cannabis. The art of cannabis and food pairings. Cannabis is here, so let's understand it. Cannabis marketing campaigns with bite. Is cannabis actually good for the environment? Culture, legacy, and cannabis roadmap to coexistence. Athlete slash stoner pros pushing for cannabis reform. No more silos advancing cannabis social equity. Creating robust data sets in cannabis. Consumer preferences for new cannabis products. Cannabis and psychedelics, where the parallels align and diverge. Can the union of equity and tech save cannabis? Cannabis, a new strain of e-commerce technology. Cannabis market melts down, what's next? Behind the headlines, the real story of medical cannabis access in the United States. And which political party will legalize weed? Again, I just wanted to share that so you can understand kind of some of the the perspectives that South by tries to highlight from a programming perspective within our industry and within this specific cannabis talk track. And South by is one of those events where because I'm local, I will always have a presence at it. But it will be interesting to see if next year goes back to a bigger focal point for cannabis or not. And outside of the official talks, there were certainly some parties. Again, nothing as crazy as last year or things that I've seen in previous years. And I will for sure share some of my other observations, but we'll save those for future episodes about some of the takeaways that I have as those could equally be rabbit holes as we continue to dive into it deeper. But for now, I hope you enjoy tuning into this panel discussion and enjoy a peek inside our South by conversation. Hi, my name is uh, Andrew Pardo. I'm uh, I had, sorry, I got my PhD from the University of Texas at El Paso. My focus is chemistry, organic chemistry, small molecule derivatization, as well as bioorganic chemistry, where I focused on synthesizing carbohydrate-based vaccines for Chagas disease. <clears throat> so I started off there, went into academia thinking, you know what, this is something I like. I enjoy teaching, enjoy, you know, giving lectures. However, I thought there was something missing. There's somewhere else, somewhere else I could be talking about, you know, uh, this plant that it's been developing so much, so cannabis. So I got hired at BioCD Hemp about uh, going my two, two years now. So there I'm the director of chemistry where we work with isolating CBD and making other derivatives from the CBD plant or the extracted CBD. Uh, <clears throat> been there for two years. It's been great. It's been a fun adventure, shifting with, along with the laws, as well as making sure that the product that we're making is of a quality stature. So we're, it's, it's been a fun ride. And with this industry, you never know where or how it's going to turn. So I'm glad to be here, excited to be here, and hope to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Okay, Chris. Hi, my name is Chris Fidalo. I'm the founder and chief scientific officer of Perverti Laboratories. I'm a doctorate in analytical chemistry and followed that with 20 years of academic and industrial research, after which when they legalized marijuana in the state of Massachusetts where I live, I left the traditional industry career to go to the green side and start Perverti Laboratories. So we've been doing this for about 10 years. It's been a tremendous ride, lots of ups and downs, lots of challenges. And one of the challenges, which it kind of leads to why we're here today, is in late 2018, we started seeing different signals in the test results that we were getting for our clients. And they were resulting from 
synthetic cannabinoids. And that presents a whole host of challenges, which is what we're here to discuss today. Absolutely. Okay, Josh. All right. Hi, I'm Josh Horzer, the chief compliance officer at SC Labs and a co-founder there. My background, I had a Got my bachelor's degree in chemistry and, and out, of, out of school, I was actually a synthetic chemist doing research and development for pharmaceuticals and the electronics materials industry and kind of took a, took a, a job interview on, on kind of a whim and ended up getting into the cannabis industry started by accident. I was the lab director for the first lab that would do cannabis testing in, in the United States or, or anywhere. Steep Hill Lab did that for a year and then left and co-founded SC Labs. And now we have labs in Oregon, a lab in NorCal, a lab in SoCal. Two labs in Colorado, one's a dedicated hemp lab, and then, and then a lab in Michigan. So I think at this point, we might be the longest still standing laboratory in the cannabis industry. But yeah, so I've been doing this now for 13 years. Amazing. Obviously, you can tell we have a great esteemed panel to represent the complexities of this conversation. So I'm going to, again, kind of continue to help set the stage hopefully clarify what these guys are doing, which is very important analysis and chemistry of the actual plant. But how do you actually apply that from a consumer perspective, right? And so why is this important? Well, in 2018, the United States legalized hemp at a federal level. They passed the Farm Bill. What that allowed for was up to 0.3% delta-9 THC on a dry weight basis. Those words have, while they seem inconspicuous, have created landscape that I don't think a lot of us really expected. I mentioned I've been in the industry professionally now here in Texas for five years, and we started out with just CBD, and now there's a cascade of products in the marketplace. Delta-8 THC, hemp derived Delta-9 THC. CBN is another one that's going to come up in today's discussion, but there's also other cannabinoids, THCO, THCP, HHC, et cetera. And so this conversation is important for many reasons, right? In a state like Texas, where we don't have full access to the plant beyond that 0.3%, what access do we have? What does the law say? How do we interpret that? How do we do it efficaciously? What does that look like? On the other end of the spectrum, obviously, you have regulated states with robust medical marijuana programs as well as recreational programs. And you're seeing these same applications from a chemistry perspective also being applied into the regulated markets as well. So it's not explicitly just happening in unregulated or hemp states like Texas, but it's really happening across the United States dare I say, perhaps even international. And I think we're just scratching the surface. If you can't tell, this topic is really important to me for many reasons. I am a retailer. I sell these products, but I'm also a consumer. And I find myself in the industry asking these questions. And I go to these people and I say, let's talk about it. And so you guys get to come in on that conversation today. So we're going to start by defining what is a synthetic versus what is a biosynthetic and what is a synthesis or chemical process to derive cannabinoids. So naturally derived versus synthetic process. And again, those words might be like a jumble of what these guys are going to help kind of break it down for you. But essentially what is coming from the plant versus what is coming from a chemical process? And is there some overlap? Right. So don't all jump first, but I would love for you all to take a stab at answering it. And I think we're going to also go to a slide that kind of helps outline some of it. So, uh, yeah. So what a synthetic is, uh, you can start off from a derived cannabinoid such as CBD and then manipulate it to give you a cannabinoid, another cannabinoid of interest, such as THC Delta 9 or THC Delta 8, depending on the environment that you subject it in. Uh, biosynthetic would be the plant's natural way of going to, to make about that product. Uh, so the plant itself decided Delta 9 is the most predominant because of the nature and through evolution itself, said that Delta 9 is the most predominant 
cannabinoid, but there can be also other cannabinoid derivatives. That means that we can't make them. It's just it's going to take a lot of money to isolate that specific cannabinoid. It's known as a natural product. But in the synthetic portion, uh, you have to know what's going in and how, as well as how to remove what you're putting into it, as well as be able to control that synthetic reaction. So call it a bathtub chemistry. It is definitely bathtub chemistry, but it's the chemists that have to make sure that we are controlling temperature, uh, the atmosphere that that chemical reaction is being composed in, as well as making sure all of whatever we put in is getting extracted. And once it gets put into the final product, nothing is getting carried over. Even during the process itself, making sure that there is no other conversions that, that are unintended, which I think we'll talk about. Yeah, I'll let Chris go next and we can also flip to this slide. I'm sure you can add some context to it. I just want to add in terms of biosynthetic, there's new synthetic processes that are coming out that are considered biosynthetic, where they're actually training yeast and microbes to actually create cannabinoids. And so they're going to start producing cannabinoids, much like they do beer and then harvest the cannabinoids out of that. Um, it's so far, it's not taken up a, a dominant uh, production in the industry yet. That's exciting to see for the future. But when we talk about synthetics, so certainly the plant is creating that synthetically, biosynthetically, because the plant has the machinery to create that. But oftentimes when we talk about synthetics in more of a pharmaceutical realm, oftentimes the synthetic chemicals that are made or the products that are made are basically mimicking what exists in nature. So for years, THC, Delta 9 THC has been a pharmaceutical product called dronabinol, and that is a chemical synthesis to mimic what's in nature. What we see more recently hitting a lot of popularity is the synthetic conversion of CBD or even from other starting ingredients, but to create cannabinoids that are not found in nature. So like THCO or THCP. These are really interesting molecules. They have interesting biological activities, yet we don't know much about their toxicity yet. So I've always advised to move forward with caution. And unfortunately, these are well permeating in the, in the marketplace today without us understanding the full biological implications. Yeah. And, and really quickly, just to kind of play on what you're saying too. I think it's important to kind of explain the difference between a synthetically created molecule and a, and a, and a biosynthetically created molecule in the human body. So there's a couple of things. So when, 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 when a plant or an animal creates a chemical, it's a very specific process. It's done differently. They, we synthesize molecules differently than you would in a lab. We use, we use enzymes and the enzymes are very, what's called stereospecific and, and it gets complicated, but the easy explanation is, is molecules are like hands. Most molecules or many molecules that you have like a left-handed version and a right-handed version and our receptors in our body that, that the molecule binds to or, or blocks to create some sort of effect are like gloves. They fit a left hand or a right hand glove. And so when the plant uses an enzyme to, to synthesize that molecule, they tend to make only the right or left-handed version so that way it can fit in the right receptor. And they tend to make very few byproducts or other molecules. It's a very specific reaction. They take two things or three things or whatever, however it's done and put them together in a specific way. And there's very few byproducts. When we synthesize molecules in the laboratory, we're, we're doing it completely different. We're not using an enzymatic reaction. So what happens is you tend to make you know, equal, you tend to make both the left and right-handed versions of that molecule. And they're going to have, even though they look similar, they're going to have just like a left and a right hand, they're going to be different. And, and also when you're synthesizing molecules, you're going to create all kinds of byproducts. You're going to kind of create a soup of molecules. And if you do it right, you have more of what you want than all the other stuff. But like we were saying earlier, you have to sort of purify out all the other stuff. And that's a big step in the process. And if, if you don't do that, you know, you're going to, you're not just going to be get, you know, 
passing on the molecule you're looking for, you're going to pass it on all kinds of other stuff. And that cleanup process is very, very difficult to remove just the right or the left-handed molecule for what you're looking for. So those are all kind of considerations why when the plant synthesizes something, you're getting, you know, you know, very different set of products than if than if, if if we do it in the lab. Yeah, I think obviously the reality of this is like you were saying, Chris, these are out in the marketplace for better or worse, but there's such a lack of regulation. And so again, I think my hope, our hope with this conversation is to create some sort of path to have these conversations more publicly, more openly, because I don't really see the chemistry side of this industry going away, but rather how do they continue to fit in with each other? And so before we go on, I want to go to one more slide that I want to have Chris kind of outline because when you're talking about the synthesis of cannabinoids, we're using the word synthesis, synthetics, chemically derived, essentially you are converting these chemical compounds. I don't know if you've ever seen a cannabinoid, but when you're consuming cannabis, again, for the lay people perhaps in the room, cannabis is a chemical structure. So when you are consuming Delta 9 THC, it is what is looked like on the left. And so structurally to turn it into THCP, it just has two extra little tails on it. It doesn't seem like a lot, but obviously that alters the cannabinoid from a chemical perspective. Chris, is there anything that I missed with that? Well, it also changes the biological activity of it. It makes it much more, in this case, psychoactive. When we look at those two structures, and there will be a chemistry quiz after this, but when we look at these two structures, the one on the left is the Delta-9-THC that we all know and love. And if you look at the THCP, which is called an analog, it looks very similar structurally, but the only difference is those two extra carbons. But what non-chemists don't realize is there's no super glue available to just glue on two extra carbons. So you cannot transform Delta-9-THC into THCP. You have to take a very different synthetic path. And it's not just as easy, even though it just looks simple, adding on those two carbons, it's actually fairly complex. Just to kind of add on to what you're saying about the biological activity, apparently increasing the length increases psychoactivity, decreasing that chain length reduces the psychoactivity. THCV, which is only three carbon chains long, is not psychoactive. So it just shows you that uh, small changes can have a huge effect on the human body, how, how it's binding and how well it's interacting with these enzymes in your body or protein sites. It's just, uh, I don't know, it's, uh, it's very interesting. I think it's really interesting, personally, again, from a consumer perspective, understanding in the marketplace where you're seeing these cannabinoids being incorporated into products, they're being sold, maybe you're in the audience consuming some of these cannabinoids or products yourselves, trying to understand, one, obviously what is safe, what is efficacious, how is it made, whether it's plant-derived or it's chemically-derived. We're going to go to the next question because I find this really fascinating to me. And, and again, I've been having some of these conversations externally outside of the South by Southwest framework. And I'm sure, you know, you out there are hearing and understand maybe Delta 8 is perhaps in this category of a synthetically or a synthesized cannabinoid. It's certainly one of the more under scrutiny here in the state of Texas in terms of this particular language. But what you might not realize is that CBN, which is non-psychoactive, is also made through this process due to, I think it was mentioned earlier too, sometimes these cannabinoids are found in such trace amounts that to accumulate them and to put them into a gummy that you are going to consume is not cost effective and it doesn't scale well. So the next question to kind of go into is really understanding what are some of these cannabinoids? I mentioned obviously a couple of them, Delta 8, CBN, kind of on different ends of the spectrum, but there are other cannabinoids that I kind of alluded to and there's 
in the spectrum, I, I think the word spectrum sometimes is confusing for all of us, but in the spectrum of cannabis, true synthetics are something like K2 or spice. So I put that like all the way over on the other end. Then you obviously have the naturally occurring cannabinoids. And then kind of in the middle is this graduation. You have what is now being understood as these synthesized cannabinoids. They are either made biosynthetically from the plant or they are full on a chemical reaction. So I'm going to say some of these words. I know these guys are going to add some context to it, but cannabinoids like THCP, THCJD, THCB, THC, and then probably one that you're more familiar with because the DEA just came out and officially said that it is illegal is THCO. So again, there's kind of this wild spectrum of new cannabinoids being introduced, some very close to the plant and some, as you can see, blending more into that synthetic pathway. But these are what we're seeing from a marketplace. These are things that I wouldn't necessarily say I sell explicitly or that we're testing or we're making, but they're things that customers are asking or you're hearing it in the marketplace, hearing it in the ether. And so we're just trying to make sense of it, right? So who wants to start addressing some of these, you know, new cannabinoids that are being introduced in the marketplace? I'll set it up. Yes. Yeah. Fill in the details. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is is just legalize cannabis. <laughs> you know, that, that that's the first step. I think, you know, we've got thousands of years of experience with humans taking cannabis and we have a pretty good idea of the toxicity profile, you know, efficacy, the safety, all that stuff. And so, you know, a, a lot of this is just to get around marijuana laws in states that still haven't legalized yet. So, I mean, we're in Texas here and you can go to a CBD store and you can buy Delta 8, but you can't, you can't just smoke pot. So, I mean, that's the first step. Now, the second step is like synthetic, natural, you know, it's not like a good or bad thing. I think a lot of these compounds may be very efficacious for, for certain medical conditions, may have a, a lot of utility, but if we're just producing all these new com compounds and, and there's sort of no regulations on it, yet we've got this ultra-regulated marijuana industry that's got, you know, kind of a proven safe profile, we're just creating these new compounds so people can get high in places where it's illegal. I don't think that's the best reason to be doing this. But, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily good or bad. So we're seeing a lot of these compounds in the Delta 8s, the Delta 10s, those show up in cannabis in, in, in trace amounts. And they're close enough to THC in their chemical structure where, where their safety profile is, is probably, you know, relatively similar to cannabinoids. But once you start getting into some of these other compounds we're seeing now where, I, I mean, I can't even keep up with them. They're, they're, they're being developed so fast and we're just sticking them into people as sort of guinea pigs. That's just a recipe for disaster. And I think that's, you know, has the potential to kind of carry over to the cannabis industry. And, and the cannabis industry is still in a, a precarious position, you know, with legalization and we still haven't gotten adoption in all 50 states. And so, you know, I just worry that with some of these new things we're seeing on the market, that, that they're being developed so fast that one of them could be dangerous. We just talked about THCP being so much more psychoactive than THC. You know, I just think you need to stop and take a look at some of these more kind of exotic cannabinoids that were created. And we're, we're certainly seeing them more and more in our lab when we're doing our testing. Can I interject something really quick just on that thought? Using CBN as the example, I'm going rogue, you guys. CBN is the example you're saying, okay, so if we legalize it, obviously we'll have access to the full plant. Would you still see cannabinoids like CBN in the plethora in the marketplace that you probably are seeing today? Because my understanding is that the majority of CBN is made through a chemical process. Even in states like California, Colorado, where it's regulated cannabis, they have access to the plant. They're still adding in CBN from this process. So how do you reconcile that if, if we're just using the plant? There's not enough accumulation of that cannabinoid. No, I think I agree. And I think CBN's great. You know, think it's got a lot of uses for for kind of a sedative or sleep aids and stuff right. like that. So I think it certainly has utility. And, it, and there's a perfect example of something that does show up in the plant, but not in, in large enough quantities, like you said, to really be useful. 
So I think there's a place for that. I just think you start with legalizing the plant. That way you can take away some of the incentive for some of these exotic THCs to exist just to get people high in states where it's not legal. Then you can start looking at these other semi-synthetic or however you want to refer to them, cannabinoids, for what they are and evaluate them based on their utility and, and their usefulness. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the risks is as we see all these variants hitting the market, regulators are panicking. So what they want to do is they just want to shut down synthetics. Well, CBN would be a casualty of that prohibition, which I don't think is the right approach. When we're talking to people about the variants or the number of synthetics, I always refer to Mr. Potato Head. How many people had Mr. Potato Head? If you think of that potato being the base structure of the cannabinoid, the, you can put on a three-carbon chain, a four-carbon chain, a five-carbon chain, a six-carbon chain. You can put on an acetate group, an ester group, and so you can put on all these like different eyes, different cells, a mustache, glasses, a hat. And there's almost an unlimited number of permutations of how you can configure your Mr. Potato Head. And we're seeing those types of cannabinoids in the marketplace. The THCP that we talk about, you can also get THCPO. They're, they're starting to put acetate groups on that and doing multiple modifications. They're taking a synthetic and making a synthetic and further driving it to another synthetic. And we didn't know what the first one did biologically if there were health concerns. And so now what happens with these new modifications? Mr. Potato Head would be mortified. <laughs> I kind of just want to f- build off of the THCO. The THCO actually I kind of was already, I saw my crystal ball. This is not going to last. Why? Because vitamin E acetate didn't last. Now, why? Because vitamin E acetate has a specific functional group and going to dive into the chemistry. So yawn. It's phenyl acetate. What they showed in this phenyl acetate was that it can undergo an intermediate called a ketene. This ketene is very reactive. <clears throat> so what's the difference between this phenyl acetate that's on vitamin E and what's the difference between THCO? There's nothing. So if you expose vitamin E acetate, I apologize. If you expose THCO acetate to the same heat that you're exposing vitamin E acetate, you'll see the same structure. And yes, it's true. So this first started in New England Journal of Chemistry where they said they tested different intermediates of seeing what caused uh, caused harm. They tested MCT, they tested vitamin E acetates that were in vapes, and they saw that the vitamin E acetate was the one actually causing the most harm. Not too long ago, 2020, Proceedings Journal of PNAS, PNAS, <clears throat> followed up with vitamin E acetate when exposed to heat releases this ketene. Then 2022 came along, Journal of Toxicology mentions that THCO acetate is creating these ketenes. I'm like, okay, that's it. It's going to be cut off. However, there is no direct mention to it being biologically harmful. It's just the, the fact that you're generating this very dangerous gas, ketene, and you're absorbing it in your lungs that I'm like, okay, we shouldn't be moving too fast with these synthetic cannabinoids. We should stop, think about what, are, what, what, are, what is out there, what harm has been done, has this been studied, and definitely slow back. If you're just looking to get high, well, you know, just travel to the state that's legal, <laughs> all right? And if you're looking for beneficial, then don't rush to try the next cannabinoid. Uh, do a little bit more of the research, talk to chemists that are out there, and, you know, get a good feel for confidence in what you're about to purchase. And if I could just mansplain for just a little bit, for anyone who doesn't know, the vitamin E acetate is what people were cutting vapes with a few years ago and people started dying. And that's what just, just, yeah. No, I think y'all are all obviously spot on in understanding the direction that things are going. I appreciate the answer to the question because I think there is some, we're all talking about there's good and there's bad, right? It's not that what we're saying, this is inherently great. This is inherently wrong. It's just, how do you make sense of it? And where does this 
kind of fall into the marketplace and ultimately who ends up regulating it, right? And so what I really loved about bringing this panel together was the blend, not only the smartest guys in cannabis, to some extent from a chemistry perspective, some of the leading brands helping test this, manufacture this, bring these products to market, helping consumers, helping brands understand it, but also helping kind of gives placeholders for how do we unpack it and make sense of it, right? But Josh, your business is all over the United States, Colorado, Oregon, California. Chris, your business is in Massachusetts, another regulated state. Andrew, your business is here in Texas. I'm here in Texas. I also like to think that I have a good pulse of kind of what's happening from a national perspective. This is a really good opportunity to kind of just help our audience understand. I don't recognize some people from Texas, but I'm sure some of you are from all over South by the very international conference, right? And so I thought it'd be helpful for us to understand kind of what are we seeing across the United States with the application of some of these cannabinoids. So I think, Andrew, I'll, I'll start with you after you take a, a sip of water. But understanding there is a demand for it. Customers are, I think, Josh, you highlighted it. To some extent, they are wanting to get high. I'll interject that thought, though, for a second. You know, I like to think I'm a little bit of a purist. While I grew up in Texas, I love Colorado. I love the cannabis plant I've been consuming for over 15 years. I have customers who now through this, you know, open exploration of these cannabinoids have Delta 8 on the marketplace, for example. And I have customers who come to me and they say, well, I prefer Delta 8 over Delta 9 for this, that, and the other reason. And at first I was like, of course, you know, as the industry is kind of like, oh, you're like, well, what is Delta 8? I have a lot of questions. Let me go ask my smarter friends. Like, let me, you know, ask my peers. Let me make sense of it. And then slowly through that, that research, that educational period for myself, for my staff, started finding partners who I believe were doing it efficaciously because I do think there's good and bad chemistry out there. I do think there's good and bad manufacturing out there. I can't promise that every product you're buying at every gas station, store, even dispensary is quality. And don't even get me started on the regulated marijuana industry as well, because I think there's still some discrepancies in that side of the industry equally, right? But looking at what consumers are now coming and asking me for, and I'm realizing, oh my God, it's my job to bring the best quality of that cannabinoid to market. So we brought Delta 8 to our customers. And over the past five years, I have had customers who time and time and time again, even now we have the introduction of hemp drive Delta 9 in places like Texas, they still want Delta 8. And I, as a business owner, as a consumer, as just an observer in the industry, have to continue to keep an open mind of why is that? It's, it's selfish of me to say that not every consumer is going to want the same thing, right? And so that's a little bit of where I think I'm coming from in this conversation. I think that there's really long tail of weird Mr. Potato Head that absolutely should be regulated because that's scary. But when you are looking at some of these more I would say accessible, the kind of the early, the synthesized cannabinoids, especially for a marketplace like Texas, I think we're just, we're seeing customers having a lot of success with it. And if done right, I think there's some, some trust and some efficacy and some safety in there. So I don't know, Chris might want to jump in. I do want to add something. We're talking about all these synthetic compounds and the ones that we don't know how they behave in the human body. But one of the other really important factors is in order to do these syntheses, convert CBD to THC, you utilize very toxic solvents and acids. And so who's making these? Are they being made in a GMP type production facility? Because right. a lot of Delta 8 is, but a lot of it's being made in garages and basements. And if whoever's making it doesn't know how to get those toxic reagents out of a finding product, not only are you being exposed to synthetic compounds of unknown toxicity, you're also being exposed to acids and, and toxic solvents that also have their own potential uh, for harm. Absolutely. And you don't, when you're a consumer, you often don't know, unless you intimately know who you're buying your products from, you don't know which product is clean and which is not. So I do your homework with the products that you're putting in your body. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Uh, as for 
the question in the regarding uh, your customers asking for this, it's I'm glad you kind of slowed down, made sure you're partnering up with mm-hmm. the correct business partner because you <clears throat> you don't know if they made it in a bathtub or if they made it in a actual reactor, as well as uh, sure there's other solvents that third parties labs aren't testing for. Methyl terbutyl ether. Do we test for that? Mm-hmm. Um, some do, some don't. So there's certain labs and I as an organic chemist know that methyl terbutyl ether is in there. I have to remove it. How am I going to remove it? Through Rotovap. And there's other ways that I can test before I actually start moving into production. So I have to make sure my quad, my products are traceless of these toxic chemicals. So take you, do your time, make sure that you're partnering up with someone that you feel confident with, as well as has the GMP stamp of approval. Quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. And, and and also for for those who don't know, like GMP is is essentially a set of rules that if I'm a pharmaceutical maker or or, or or you know synthesizing products, I'm going to have to follow to ensure that my process is sound, that I'm characterizing any type of contaminants. Because you said too, it's you know if you're making something using synth- synthesis, you don't necessarily know what your contaminants. are. Are going to be. And I think, you know, all of this, you know, kind of a lot of the issues that are that are similar to cannabis are, are popping up here. It's 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 difficult to regulate. You've got sort of the FDA is unwilling to get in and the FDA would normally provide oversight for these things. So, you know, the states would maybe potentially each have their own, you know, additions to any regulations that the FDA would do. But in general, the FDA is, is who should be regulating these states, these things. The states aren't necessarily equipped to do it. And that's why you see so many issues with the cannabis industry. But we were talking about this earlier with, with, with these hemp-based cannabinoids or the semi-synthetic cannabinoids. The states don't know what to do. Everyone's trying to address the situation differently, which is getting really confusing. And just like with cannabis, the issues with, with, with inhaling synthetic cannabinoids are, are much more potentially precarious than they are, say, if I was synthesizing something just to eat. So when we're doing testing, and the messed up thing is, is most of the edible infused products we're seeing, like gummies and stuff like that, that come in through to our lab are pretty close to what they're labeled as, as far as at least at least the, 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 the concentrations of cannabinoids in the product. Now, if you look at contaminants and stuff like that, we have like an expanded panel that tries to look for some of those extra contaminants that no one's actually requiring us to test for, but that manufacturers want to, to know. And then if I'm, if I'm buying you know, some of these, these products in the market and infusing them into products, I need to be doing a whole bunch of tests on all of my input. And we've seen very few people do that. You know, we might see the finished product, but we see very few people bringing in these inputs they're picking up. And, and if I'm buying from a supplier and I'm buying my, say, HHC from, from one supplier and I've had it characterized, I got a batch characterized when I was going to infuse it into my gummies and, so, and it was clean and so they must be making good product. That doesn't mean that their next synthetic run is going to go well and that they're not going to have a whole bunch of contaminants in their next synthetic run. So the manufacturers of these products need to be doing their due diligence on their inputs. But, but back to the, the inhale versus ingestion, what we see is actually the gummies and in, in, in the infused products tend to, tend to be the most accurate and cleanest. And obviously the people who are making, doing things the right way and who are making good products, they're, they're the ones that are going to self-select and probably be sending more of their products into us. 
you know, those, those gummies that you bought at the, at the gas station that don't have a COA or don't have a batch number attached to them where you can kind of look in to see what kind of quality control went into them. I can't promise those, but what we see that's really dirty are these vape juices. And they look like kind of the nicotine vape juices that people use in those big modded old things. When those come in, they're just like a soup. I mean, we saw one sample that literally had, we have 15 different synthetic cannabinoids on our panel. And it had, I think, almost every single one of them in this soup. And a lot of times, you know, the manu- the label will say one, you know, say Delta 8, and it's all Delta 3, or, you know, it, it's, it's not even the correct cannabinoid that's on the label because they didn't really know what they were infusing with. They didn't know their inputs. And then as far as contaminants, all kinds of stuff. And then when we go buy things off the shelf, bring them into test. It's one story. When we get things sent in by reputable manufacturers like we have here, the, it's a different story. So it is really buyer beware. But the problem is, 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 is it's tough for the buyer to be aware because you don't have the information all the time to make the decision. So, you know, there needs to be regulation. There needs to be someone mandating labeling requirements for these hemp products, just like it is in cannabis and, and, and sort of instituting some sort of accepted general good manufacturing process that these manufacturers need to follow to ensure that the consumer safety, because I mean, we can't expect every consumer to, you know, have a lab in their, in their garage and, and test this stuff themselves. Maybe I'll just, <laughs> yeah. and I can... Other than Chris. Wait. But there's stains on your carpeting. Talk about that. Maybe I can ask for Chris specifically to kind of take a little bit off of what Josh was saying too. Because every state has different patchwork of laws regarding this, there isn't really one overseer regulating it. Even just looking at testing without this component being, you know, interjected into it, labs have different testing standards. They have different um, ways that they have calibrated their testing devices. And so I just want to kind of unpack that a little bit from your experience where you're now seeing the introduction of these synthesized cannabinoids. How is that even adding more complexity to what is already a challenging space to even get like a baseline quality test done? Yeah. So in order to even think about where we are with this synthetic discussion, you have to step back and look at regulated cannabis in the states where they are regulating it. Because there's no federal oversight, all the states are regulating it separately or and you see various definitions of potency. You know, do I include Delta 9 and Delta 8 and Delta 10 in my total THC? Do I moisture correct? And so how do I test microbial contaminants? What microbes are important to test for? California is very different than Massachusetts. As so I just in regulated marijuana, I would say testing's it's a good thing, but it's a bit of a disaster because it's a patchwork of regulations. Adding in the synthetics, the regulators don't even know if this falls under their purview. And so they're having discussions. Do we, do we ban them? Do we just ban them because they're bad? But then you have things like the CBN and CBG, CBC, some of the minor cannabinoids that aren't in the plant at high enough concentrations. And the only way to really get those benefits from those minor cannabinoids is through synthesis. So synthesis itself is not a bad thing. So how do you ban bad things and still permit these good things? How do you include synthetics under regulatory program when there's so little information? You look at how many processes there are to make Delta-8. There's probably, if you choose the different permutations of of reagents, there's probably hundreds of different processes that you can make Delta-8. Each one of them has a different contaminant profile with different hazards associated with it. So it's a really complex uh, challenge, and I don't think we're going to solve it anytime soon. We're still struggling with marijuana, with Delta 9. You know, we can't figure that out collectively. And so this is just making it exponentially more complicated. It's very complicated, too, because I often get 
caught sometimes in an interesting situation where I find that I'm in the industry, I'm paying attention to, you know, what's being done, what's in the news, what is chemically, you know, able to be, you know, brought into the marketplace. But then I also have customers walking through my door and they're asking me, oh, do you have the THC, you know, ABC alphabet soup? And I have to think, where did you hear about that? Who's telling you about that? You're just a regular consumer. I think Reddit is a huge driver of a lot of these discoveries of these, you know, new cannabinoids, so to speak. And it's just, it's, it's been an interesting dance to kind of try to, like I said, do the research one where it's, where did this come from? Is this naturally occurring? How was this synthesized? Well, who is manufacturing it? What's a good manufacturer? Do I trust the manufacturer? What's the toxicity level? What's the efficacy? Okay. Are you smoking it or are you eating it? There's all these different levels which is where obviously we're existing and trying to find some path to move forward. So kind of getting into our our last question and then going to open up for some Q&A. So if you have questions, please get them ready. I always like to, you know, look towards the future. That's, I think, what South by Southwest is is a great platform to do. So we have all these amazing people in the room from the industry, I'm assuming some, and and wanting to to make sense of this, right? So how do we move forward? So I know that we, before we got started in the green room, we're talking about the pharmaceutical side of cannabis. Obviously, there's Rabinol, there's Epidiolex. Those are FDA-approved pharmaceutical isolated cannabinoids. We also use the term cannabis as medicine. We have medical marijuana in many states, including Texas. And yet we are still shy, I think, from having that pharmaceutical approach and application into the cannabis industry because who regulates it? Is that fall to the FDA? Do we want the FDA to be involved? I mean, the FDA and the DEA to be involved? Where does that line get drawn? And I think it's just interesting because obviously there's the two sides of it, but on the, on the more positive side, the application from looking at pharmaceuticals where they have been able to use chemistry to create consistency. I'm sure, you know, you've taken aspirin in your lifetime at some point. Aspirin originated from the willow tree. It, it was originally from a plant. It's no longer derived from a plant and nobody has any concern about taking aspirin, going to HEB, going to your grocery store and purchasing that product. So I see that as as a little bit of an application of what's going to happen to cannabis. It's not to say that the plant is obsolete. It's not to say that you're going to only see chemically created cannabinoids, but where does it exist? Who's going to regulate it? Um, We see some states trying to just take them all away. I think in Texas, just to give some insight, some of the way that the language is written right now doesn't just take away those perhaps, you know, spooky THC cannabinoids. It takes away cannabinoids like CBN and CBG. And so it's like, who was going to write the rules and what do the rules look like? So if we can kind of future think who's who, who should regulate it? How does it get regulated? What do we do walking out of this room to kind of, you know, help have better testing or encourage better manufacturing or questions that should be asked of, of cons- uh, not consumers, but of brands, of manufacturers, of processors, of labs, as we continue to see these products entering the marketplace? No one wants to take that. <laughs> I'll jump on it. I'll jump on it. Fine. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think what we will see is, is, you know, First of all, you know, federal legalization of, of cannabis, like I said. And I think then what we'll see after that is some of these synthetically derived cannabinoids will stand on their own for one reason or another. Like you mentioned Delta 8. I've heard the same thing anecdotally too, that there's certain people for this or that that greatly prefer Delta 8 and, and really think think it has, has some uses. And so I think some of these synthetic cannabinoids will prove, you know, really useful. And I, I think all uses 
you know, medical, but, but I think we'll, we'll see some of them be useful for maybe treating certain medical conditions and they'll stick around and they'll stand on their own for what they are. I think some of, some of these kind of bathtub ones, I mean, you know, will go away because now, you know, we'll have access to THC everywhere else. And like I said, so then we're not just trying to seek an alternative method to get that, 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 that high from, from cannabis. We're, we're looking at these things, you know, for, for their value. I would like to see the FDA get in at some point. If we've got federal legalization of hemp, or making hemp-derived products, the FDA just can't stick their head in the sand forever. And I think that would be a big help. And, and you know, I, I sit on, so does Chris, on a, on a USP working group, which is trying to help kind of set the stage for that to happen. But so, you know, I'm, I'm excited for that. I think we still haven't sort of seen everything we can do with, you know, whether it's nat- natural cannabis products or whether it's these, these synthetically, you know, isolated, synthetically derived cannabinoids. And I think we'll also see kind of more in the way of sort of that whole plant extract that's including terpenes and in and, and, and sort of, I think that the whole plant extracts are really interesting because they kind of sort of act like biological buffer systems. And I think when you give someone, even, even Marinol, when you give someone Marinol, there's all these side effects that aren't there when they take even like a high THC extract. And that's because you're getting sort of this buffer system, even, you know, these trace amounts of these other cannabinoids. That, are, that, you know, kind of are working synergistically or even opposing THC. That's the cool thing about these cannabinoids is this one plant is producing these compounds that all play differently with this, this cannabinoid system that, that spread throughout your body. And, and sort of, you know, some, some actually block the receptors that others are activating. THC and CBD are, you know, have that interplay at a couple of the different cannabinoid receptors. And, and, and so you kind of get this buffer system. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll better understand how that works. And I think, you know, kind of there'll be just more, more options and sort of more targeted uses of these compounds. And then, you know, as a businessman in this space, I mean, I'm, I'm also in, in, in talking to other people, you know, other cannabis business owners and stuff like that. Um, people are really excited in it. And I know it's a little bit off topic, but people are really excited about the psychedelics coming in and what that's going to bring and in sort of how we're going to expand some of these plant medicines we've been working with. We, you know, and, I, and if you would ask me, you know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago, if my mom would ever take, you know, or my grandma would be asking me, you know, which CBD brand she should be using. I mean, she didn't even, you know, I was, I was a black sheep for a while when I started this business. And I think, you know, if you asked me today, if my grandma would ever be asking me, you know, what strain of mushroom she should try, I would say, hell no. But I, I think what we're seeing, you know, it's, a, it's a corollary to here. I think you're seeing a standardization of the product. You're, you're seeing testing so you can accurately dose the product. And so, I mean, it's off topic, but that's what I'm excited about is psychedelics for what it's worth. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so in, in the absence of FDA, I think this has to be regulated by at the state level. The challenge I have with that is as states are having these discussions to potentially bring these synthetics under their purview, they are in their head thinking, well, they're just going to add, add that into the cannabis regulatory thing. And what they have to understand, they have to talk with experts in the field, with other chemists, with toxicologists, with plant biologists. They have to understand that these, while we tend to think of them as cannabinoids and cannabis related, they're really synthetic drugs. They, they're no longer an agricultural product. The minute you took mm-hmm. that CBD, which is an agricultural product, and you start adding these organic solvents and, and toxic acids and all these sometimes catalysts, and you start doing chemical manipulations to rearrange those atoms, it's no longer an agricultural product. So they have to change their, their perception how they're going to regulate those. I think it still has to happen at the state level, at least for the for the near term. Yeah, I agree with the FDA getting involved. It'll encourage, definitely remove a lot of those bathtub uh, chemists that are out there, which hopefully they're now less and less, because we have to test, especially the bulk, the larger, before we actually move into getting into finished goods, because that's where the 
that's where you can have the highest toxicity and eventually that toxicity gets diluted. But testing regularly, ensuring that we are having a good product out there right now is kind of just uh, the us, the manufacturing. And we want to make sure that as a manufacturer, we're constantly watching and, well, testing, making sure that the toxic, toxic levels are low. But I mean, I work closely with third-party labs, making sure that um, I know it came back low. Why? That's the next question. And that's a hard question. Why? What can I do to actually improve on it? So they are not the enemy <laughs> on the country. They're here to help us. So that's where I think both manufacturing right now and third-party labs working closely together and then talking to people in power. So people in the government, not just people in law sitting in one room, talk to us scientists, talk to the third-party labs, get, in, get us involved in your discussions because not everything is black and white. CBN can be synthesized in a lab but it can be synthesized properly. We just got to make sure that we are doing that properly and as well as how to test it, when to test it, and establish like the potency needed for it. So it's it's a tough question <laughs> for to say, to kind of uh, answer in one, well, to fix today. <laughs> can I add one thing? Sure. Really critical component is consumer education and awareness. Yes. Right now, we see a lot of producers that are putting out the worst product. And I tell them, your product is... I won't say it, but it's bad. And I give them advice on how they can clean it up. And they said, why, why would I do that? It'll take an extra time. It costs me extra money and nobody's asking for it. Consumers have to start demanding from producers quality product that can be documented through high quality testing. And consumers have to be their own advocate. That's a rough place to, to be because as consumers, not everybody's a chemist and everybody's going to understand a certificate of analysis but you have to really get to know the people that you're buying products from so that you can trust their products. So really, you as consumers, fortunately, you have to protect yourself, advocate for yourself. Well said. I'll just round that out by saying, I hope this is just the beginning of hopefully a much longer conversation that is going to continue on in our industry. I thank you for stepping inside my brain a little bit as I brought these great candidates up to unpack this conversation because it isn't going anywhere. I think what I really wanted to come across in this discussion was the reality that this isn't a hemp industry, unregulated state problem. This isn't a regulated marijuana state problem. This is something that affects all of the industry. And how do we move forward together? It's really by having conversations, both at a consumer level, as well as at an industry level, and talking to people and trying to make sense of it. It's not good. It's not bad. It is. This is here. Now, what do we as an industry do to move forward with that information? So with that, thank you so much for being part of this panel discussion. We are going to open up for questions. I think we have 10 minutes left. Please line up and introduce yourself and ask away. My name is Ben Shirelli, and I'm, I'm the CEO of Celebre, and I, we're actually a cultured cannabinoid company doing stuff via fermentation. So thank you guys for the discussion here today. First, Josh, I want to say thank you for talking about stereochemistry. Not enough people do. It's an exciting topic. I'm sure everybody was excited about it. I was. My question is a tough one. If we think about any ingredient or any consumer packaged good, every single thing that goes into the food supply chain needs what's called a grass approval, generally regarded as safe before it's put in as an ingredient. And as a sector, we complain a lot about not having regulatory and not having oversight and government this and government that when we want legalization. So my question for you guys is, how do we morally feel good about putting these things that have not been studied into the supply chain and giving them to consumers? when they have not been studied, if we want to have the moral high ground in this debate? Well, that's so, a good question. First of all, grass is 
as far as I understand, is specifically to ingestible products. So as, you, as soon as you start talking about chemicals that are being inhaled or worse, they're being vaporized, heated, inhaled. So you're talking now about thermal de degradation products. None of those compounds would be considered grass under that application. So that's, it is a very complex topic. But for ingestibles, I think a lot of the ingredients that manufacturers are using have a certain, maybe they're not grass, but they have a long-established safety profile. So Delta 9 THC has a pretty remarkable safety profile, even though I'm sure it doesn't have a grass designation. I'm talking about more than the non natural to reference brand logs. THCP. Yeah, I just ordered some from four places that they make it. It's anywhere between 15 and 60 versus Delta. Really? Delta is. And these are very, very good lives. Yeah, chemistry changes. It's very hard. The question is, how do we feel good about bringing those products on a more line? I would say, yeah, I think, it, I think proceed with caution. I mean, obviously, and I think that, that, that's the takeaway here. I think, and I think there's, there's scales. I think, you know, it, there, there's, there's the products themselves. And then there's like you're saying is, is, is the quality of quality control that it's going into them in sort of the sophistication that we have at this point. And, and there's, there's gradation, like, you know, so, you know, making, making Delta eight is a lot different than making some of these more exotic ones. And then there's the also sort of, and, and I worry about it also, not just from a patient safety perspective, but as someone who's been in the industry since I was 17 or 18 in one way or another, and has sort of fought for legalization and continues to fight for legalization and see myself as much of an activist as, as, as an entrepreneur, I worry about the gains we've made being lost. If we have another, you know, the vape crisis, we're, you know, we're lucky people weren't pointing the, fi the finger at regulated industry. And, and luckily, it wasn't a problem of the regulated industry. But that's also a great example. Vitamin E is good for you. You take it. But when you smoke it, there's an unexpected chemical reaction or expected, if you know what you're looking for, that you know, can, can potentially kill someone. And so I think, you know, yeah, proceed with caution, especially with some of these more exotic ones. The Jesus. Also that. Yeah. So from the manufacturing point, we didn't dive into THCP because before I started manufacturing, I got to make sure that I do the literature search. What kind of binding does it have? So that's where I go into literature. Has it, this binding study been done? If the binding study is too high, like I can't control the dosage. If I can't control the dosage, then there's likelihood of someone overdosing on this. So that's where I'm like, oh, you know what? THCP sounds nice. I'm pretty sure it's huge right now, but I don't want to make it. So I'm saying as a chemist, no. I'm like, uh, I don't want to make it because I can't control how the consumer is going to be endosing themselves. I want to make sure they enjoy their high. So how can I, you know, regulate? So, you know what? Just take this one drop and then that's it. Or vaping. How 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 strong is that person inhaling? Mm. And for how much are they inhaling? It's still risky. So therefore, like I said, as a manufacturer, I said, you know what? THCP isn't something that I'm interested in. Maybe pharmaceutical wise, but not for the purpose of a recreational. I'll just add as a retailer as well. I don't carry all these products, but also I'm acknowledging that if I don't do some research and find the best quality of it on the market, the consumer is going to go and put it in their bodies to some extent. So how do you meet in the middle? By doing research, finding good manufacturers, working with great labs, doing your due diligence, and then also letting the market just kind of evolve. It's, it's a tricky situation, but it's a great question. So thank you. Hi, Cindy Cohn. I'm from South Carolina, where, of course, nothing medical <laughs> or recreational is legal yet. So there is a large Delta 8 and um, synthetic market. Couple questions. I'm a certified Gangier. I am more familiar than I guess the average consumer with the different terpenes and all that. 
I judge for High Times Hemp Cup every year and I try like 36 products in one month. First question, I guess, how do I know that those are safe if they're bedded into that program? And also when I was looking, I'm looking, I'm certified in medical cannabis and I was looking to open a, what's going to be called a pharmacy there. It's going to be called a medical cannabis pharmacy when the bills hopefully go through. They don't regulate Delta 8 and all these, but they regulate medical cannabis. They said that in the store that would be a pharmacy, would we would not be able to carry both because one would be regulated and one would not be. So as you're saying, there's customers that are going to request that. But I mean, in South Carolina, it's so strict. They're going to have to have a card anyway. Mm-hmm. But I guess the question is now that this the whole thing about the really conservative states not wanting to have any of this, is that going to be, I heard federally, they're going to take that off the farm bill. The farm bill is up for amendment this year. So we will see if they even get to it. They might have an extension. So I do track what's going on from a federal farm bill perspective pretty closely. Right now, you have to understand, even when you're going into those conversations, I started a coalition in Texas Hemp Coalition Board here in the state. One of my uh, co-executive board members is in the room. We were both in D.C. last year trying to talk about some updates that we wanted the FDA to jump in on and, and get some stuff passed through Congress. And the farm bill is this long and hemp is this much a part of it. Not to say they're not going to try to take some steps to eradicate it, but I, politics moves very slow, unfortunately. And so I wouldn't jump to that conclusion just quite yet. I would just you know, kind of keep tracking, paying attention to what's going on and, and be, be aware. But I think saying is a little bit the cat's out of the bag. So I don't think they can explicitly take all of it away to some extent. I think it's going to fall more towards a state framework, patchwork, unfortunately. On the testing, I've been a judge for some of those things as well. It's buyer beware. It's consumer beware. Don't expect those, um, those you know, awards to be doing the due diligence to make sure that everybody, I mean, sometimes they ask for COAs. I participated in some that you'd be shocked. They gave me products in plastic baggies and I had to push back and say, I'm not going to test this in my body because that's, you're trying to set a standard and that's not a standard being set. So you would look for the brand's packaging. If they do not provide you the brand's packaging, I would express, I'm not putting this in my body. I'm not judging this unless you give me the brand's packaging. That brand, if they're a regulated brand, whether it's marijuana or hemp, should be a license holder. They should have a COA. They should have a website with some sort of information. If I don't see those products. I don't even see any indication of who that brand is. I personally don't put those in my body. Yes, because you are. I do. I don't. Yeah. What's for the COA when you look it up on the internet? That's where there's a little bit of discrepancy because then you're looking at a COA, which potentially could have been manipulated. And when was a COA done? It's, it's a bigger. And high times should be pre-testing the products for you. That, you know, like we do the Emerald Cup. I'm about to judge the Emerald Cup and in everything we test we test everything for them ahead of time. And the cup has great standards. Yeah. Though. I yeah. don't think everything has yeah. the same standards. Yeah. And, and, and it would just be a good thing to suggest. You know, certain products have, have QR codes that link to the COA, you know, and all of that. I also want to say, you know, congratulations on the Ganjieri certification. But also uh, another thing you said is, is a lot of states are trying to consider that situation where the regulated marketplace can't carry a lot of these hemp-derived products. And in Cal- California right now, there's one bill for sure that, that's on the books that will likely get passed. It's an them to a previous bill from, from last year that's trying to regulate the hemp market. But a big part of that is allowing the regulated dispensaries to sell the hemp-based products because, you know, why should they be at a disadvantage from the grocery store or the, the gas station next door that can sell them? So, so yeah, so that... When you read period where the doctors are trained and everybody, so you're losing business and you're right, you have a lot of facility. You don't have something that you did at least... And being a trained doctor, yeah, I do hope that I can train the doctors because they're going to require them to do like a three-hour course. I'm hoping that they will allow us common people to do that and not some state representatives. They don't know what they're doing, honestly. 
I've watched. That's also part of the problem. They don't have cannabis people in regulatory position. Unfortunately, we are at time, but everybody who has in line to get a question, we are more than happy to go step outside and answer your questions. So feel free to stick around. We have business cards. We'd love to connect with you. Thank you so much for being a part of this discussion. Again, like I said, this is just the small tip of the iceberg of a much larger conversation that we hope to continue to have. So thank you for being here. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com.